All right, welcome back to Glitch Cube. We are a gaming podcast, and each week we take a deeper look into the art of video games. I'm Christian. I'm Chris. And uh, welcome back, you guys, everybody, to another fun and exciting episode as we dive deeper into the world of horror. Um, last week, we talked a lot about atmospheric horror games, such as Alien Isolation, as being one of the penultimates as to what the franchise can do and how it has evolved over the years. But this time, we want to focus a little bit more on the opposite side of atmospheric horror, which would be action-oriented horror, where the control is completely in the player's hands, and they are able to take down the big bad, sometimes with ease, or at least a little bit less edge on it right or mm -hmm. it's less you trying to figure out how to just deal with this thing and more of hey am i strong enough to just to brute strength this guy and just keep cruising through the stage and there are a lot of very interesting examples in this franchise or this genre has evolved quite a bit throughout the years where it was incredibly popular very good and then it kind of went a little goofy right it went to that whole kind of like last action hero style where it's just a little too much and then now we're starting to see it come back to its roots and actually be very exciting interesting and just compelling once again and i'm very excited for that and we do have a pretty good example of what a strong action horror game is and one that might surprise people um it which we will be talking about later on in this episode, which I think it's really going to kind of surprise you. There are some obvious picks out there, but we didn't go with the obvious pick. We went with one that was a lot more, I would say, interesting and might have been missed by a lot of gamers out there. Definitely worth checking out. So stick around till uh, a little bit later in the episode when we get into that one. But before we get too far, why don't we just jump into some more of the history of action-oriented horror games, kind of where they came from, where they're going, some of the weird areas in which that they've kind of branched into, because there's a lot of different subsets into this genre. It's kind of a, a, a wide net, I would say, right? Where it's not just your running guns. There's a lot of like cooperation now involved with it because that's a lot, uh, it's becoming more popular, uh, I would say, as far as game development goes. So why don't you, take it away chris and let us know about the world of action horror games well it all kind of started with resident evil 4 i mean most people know that if they are into like horror games they know that 4 kind of like pushed the envelope on you know instead of being afraid of your surroundings and afraid of your enemy you can take them on uh but seeing like the games like horror games that came out not long after that all tried to copy it right and you know some were good you look at like dead space who took that formula and just moved it into space which i mean it's genius and who's and not then, afraid of space right <laughs> the, yeah right final frontier okay. and mm -hmm. The whole 360 ps3 era is when we really saw this more action focused gameplay and everything honestly you look at other genres like rpgs all of it they all have to have this either action style gameplay or shooter gameplay mm -hmm. because they were big it was the new thing that people could make look cool and most of the time they were fun i know there was a lot of garbage during this era but there were quite a few gems and when we look at 
to me, some that really stood out in that era was Condemned. Mm, I, yeah, I actually played a little bit recently of the first one. And I thought it was interesting because it still has that kind of atmospheric, like, ooh, I'm in this abandoned building. Like, what's going to rush out at me? And it being more melee focused, I enjoyed it because I don't like playing shooters with a controller. Mm. So just using melee, I was like, oh, this is fun. You know, I don't feel like I have potato aim. Like, I can actually play this. Right. And it was cool. You know, it's not like there's scary monsters or anything. It's just the atmosphere was kind of freaky. And then you had simple fighting. And it made you up close. It forced you to be up close and personal with the people you're fighting and attacking. So you can't just like stand in the back and kind of pick people off and then go through the stage. Right. Like you had to actually be up there and encounter everything. So, yeah, it definitely added to a more like intense environment. Yeah. And I mean, another one that really stood out to me was Fear. Oh, that's a Uh, crazy game. I remember seeing the cover for those games. Uh, when they were out and i was like whoa like what are these like these look freaky and i mean they were they were really out there and i feel like it's a series you hear no one talk about anymore Mm -hmm. yet i feel like you know 10 years ago people usually brought that franchise up when it came to like action horror like a lot yeah i feel it was like fear and like jericho around that time do you remember jericho yeah jericho yeah that was a great one i remember playing a lot of jericho and i forgot about that just i I remember dumping so much time in that and it it, that definitely was like i think like at the peak of the like the over action oriented horror games because Mm -hmm. that one is just straight just fucking gun everything down like there is like you're getting like chased by hordes of enemies you have crazy stuff around you and you just blast through everything that's in your way so yeah that was a fun one i like that one a lot and it you know it's interesting because you look at like those three titles and you're like oh wow like this this is actually pretty good like it's it's an interesting change and another game that saw this kind of like horror action revival or evolution was uh doom three yeah which I remember when it came out and I I used to see like at, like magazine ads where I'm like, whoa, this doesn't look like your typical Doom. Like, this is different. And, you know, it's basically you running through dark corridors with your little flashlight. And, I mean, I didn't really realize this till recently, but the flashlight was really interesting and kind of innovative for the time. Hmm. Um, Carmack kind of wanted to do something different with the flashlight where you actually like acts like a real flashlight you know like in a lot of old games the light's just this like straight beam that just shines on the normal object as if you know it's not really real Mm -hmm. but this flashlight kind of reflected and did other more natural things and it was interesting you know like being able to take a shooter and make it spooky was cool and i mean i feel like doom 3 got an okay response from people Mm-hmm. Even though it was different, but I feel like with these last few games, you know, that action horror was actually cool because that way people who were too afraid of playing horror games in the past, because they felt weak, they were able to play these games and, you know, feel like a boss, you know, and then, but of course there's downsides to 
this style of gameplay, right? One of the big things during this console generation of the 360 was that cover shooters were big, right? Oh, yeah. Gears of War, uh, I don't think Binary Domain. It was a Bulletstorm, like a bunch of different games in that time all had the same system. You know, you duck behind cover, shoot, 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 duck, and rinse, repeat every few maps. Yep. We started seeing that in horror games. You know, you look at Resident Evil 5, you look at 6, and when they took that more action-focused gameplay, it really took away from the, the scariness of it. It basically just became a zombie version of Gears of War, right. in my opinion, when you look at it. And... Yeah, there's no more. Sound. There's no more like fear in it. It's just yeah, yeah. Because you had you're the power. just a shooter like, in yeah. a weird environment. Like even with the character models themselves, everyone was just like badass, right? Like everyone, mm -hmm. like you have your Chris Redfield, who's just like a a tank of a man running through everything. So you automatically feel more powerful with that. Whereas like you miss the the old days, right? Where like Resident Evil one and two, like you, yeah, you might be playing as maybe like you know Leon or whatever it may be, or even Fort, where like you're kind of a smaller character. So you might not feel as strong as you do when you play like your Gears of War guys or whatnot, where you mm -hmm. just look like a, a fucking tank walking through this horde of enemies. No. And it's interesting because, you know, you look at the two big horror franchises and they, they both went down that route. You know, Silent Hill did it differently with, I think Downpour was the one that was really like, I don't want to say it was like a, a Diablo kind of thing, but it had that action RPG kind of like look to it, but it, there were no RPG elements, but it had that style and it's just, it was so different. You know, it, horror games basically became, let's make it action in a kind of scary setting, which when you're powerful like that, it's not really scary in my opinion. No, not at all. Yeah. The setting looks cool, but am I going to get scared? No. No. And it's interesting because I feel like for a while during that time, a lot of people kind of didn't really focus on horror games anymore uh, in the old sense, right? They they became all action-orientated, and then we saw a different evolution in the sense that, like, multiplayer, right? You know, Left for Dead. I mean, it was big. It wasn't really scary, you know? It was It was in a setting where, oh, this is, you know, zombie apocalypse, and... For a long time, that's all it was. It was zombie games when yeah. it came to horror. There's like and jump scares in those games, but it's not like actual like horror games where like you remember these villains or bosses like late at night, right? Like it's mm -hmm. it, it's it's more fun because of the pacing of it. But yeah, like they they kept jump scares in because it, they needed to stay established as like a horror game, but it just wasn't the same. It didn't feel like a classic horror game. Yeah, it, you know, it's basically, am I, am I going to overrun, mm -hmm. you know, and that was the fear. Like, I remember playing Dead Island with a friend, like we played the whole campaign together, co-op. And it was interesting. I mean, I thought the melee, com like the combat system in it was fantastic. But do I remember anything about it? Was it memorable in any kind of scary sense? No. Mm. But a lot of these games that were doing the co-op style to it kind of took away all of the fear of a horror game and just made it like, well, just shoot some zombies, you know? And we did see a lot of franchises uh, 
I don't want to say born from this style, but I mean, you look at Dead Rising, you look at State of Decay, like all of these games kind of came from that era mm-hmm. and did something different. Like Dead Rising had a really cool idea, but I mean, I just couldn't really get into them because I hated the time frame. Yeah, no. It, it, they were fun, but it's not like long term fun, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you look at like horror multiplayer now, like uh, Phasmophobia and stuff like that. And it's it's interesting to see, you know, where it all kind of started and like what it's at now, even though that's not really an action game. It's more atmospheric. It's still interesting that multiplayer games in that style kind of moved on, mm-hmm. especially with like Dying Light, too. I mean, Dying Light was really interesting to me and i actually had a lot of fun with it Mm. but like everything else it's just another zombie game that's not totally scary yeah yeah i i think the evolution of the horror games and like with the multiplayer aspects put into it like you even see things like you know like call of duty zombie horde now right where it's it's not horror anymore it's just it has that stamp of horror and it almost feels like it's a way to get oh like to allow gratuitous amounts of gore in your games uh like if you just classify it as a horror game and like it is kind of fun like i i actually am enjoying some of the newer um i guess like uh, actiony horror games like things that more like deceit and stuff like that where it or has, even prey right like the newer prey prey was great because it had that it had that spook factor, right? Where like mm-hmm. anything could jump out at you and just be there. Like with, like I was mentioning with deceit, the whole idea of like the social deduction with it as well, or evolve even had that too, which I mean, evolve wasn't a great game, but the, the multiplayer oh, was at least somewhat interesting in the way where you didn't know who, what the bad guy was. Right. And I think that's more interesting than seeing a massive horde of zombies running at you. Like it's someone in your party and you're trying to deal with like the shit that's going on too at the same time. Right. So like mm-hmm. those kind of games and seeing the the evolution of the action towards that gen- or that direction is interesting. And it does feel like it's paying more of a homage back to more of like classic horror games uh, opposed to, you know, some of the like the Resident Evil sixes in the world where it's like, what is this? What am I playing? <laughs> and another thing too, and I mean, it's another zombie game, but I feel it really got, I don't want to say slept on because a lot of people hated on it because it wasn't up to expectations, but I beat it recently. And I think days gone is actually really interesting, mm. at least on like the zombie side of things. Right. Because it, the open world, it's a big world. You know, you get to drive around, the main character's kind of boring, but the the hordes that you fight, it's, you know, that sense of fear. I was like, whoa, like I haven't really felt that in a game in a long time, mm-hmm. especially a game of that style. And it made me think, I'm like, what if you made like, like a Silent Hill or just something in that realm, like a more atmospheric, but an open world setting like that, mm-hmm. like take away like the linear paths and the you know different stages and just made it open world scary it'd be cool you know like i i I would love to see that system in a more traditional old school kind of like horror game yeah i agree and i mean i it it sounds like we're kind of like 
I guess like bashing the genre almost to a certain extent. Like the the way that it evolved and changed over the years is kind of it's unfortunate, right? Where we kind of lose a lot of that more psychological horror. Like I still remember playing Resident Evil 2 and just being terrified of the sewers and just that mm-hmm. whole stage and like the walking past the same area multiple times and then at one point the gator jumps out at you, right? Like mm-hmm. and like that's that's a terrifying moment in an action horror game. And it is sad to see that, like, the way things evolved and changed over the years um, to be less focused on horror and more just on running and gunning through things. But, I mean, uh, like, it you can't really fault those games as well because they were just chasing a trend. Like, they were chasing yeah. what was popular. And, like, Resident Evil 4 really revolutionized the game, not just for horror games, but for all action games after it. It was like the when you look at the way that the camera even was set up in Resident Evil 4 compared to other third um, third person view games at that time or third person action games like the camera was not was independent of the character for most of those games. So it was really like it was really hard to get your boundaries a lot. And it was because you're not only controlling where your character is facing, now you're controlling where the camera is facing as well. And it just it almost felt like shaky cam at all times. And Mm. playing a game for 30 hours of shaky cam, like that's a lot. And like I would be very I wouldn't be surprised at all if people got kind of motion sickness from that. And it made it really hard to make like an action game that was compelling in that sense. So Resident Evil 4 with making the camera like, you know, stuck in one place right behind the, the character was really revolutionary in that front. And then you start seeing that in not just horror games, but all third person um, action games or just games in general, survival, all of it. So like that idea of the camera placement was really revolutionary. And then in four, we have like the first time, like, yes, this idea got overplayed and it's almost like, uh, like, like kind of like cringier, like grown factor now, but the active time button presses. Oh, I forgot about that. Like that, Four was one of the first games to really push that out there, but they did it in a way that it wasn't like too much, I would say, but it added to the scene itself because it was so fresh and new. And then you see games like God of War and whatnot, like kind of take that run with it and start putting it in ways where it's like, this is stupid. (laughs) Like it, it just became like flooded in the, in the games market. And it just was a little too much. But if you think about it like that, really set the stage for a lot of these games that we consider greats or classics was the way that um, Resident Evil 4 kind of just changed the game up a little bit but it's still I mean look at Last of Us yeah like it's all there like but that like it takes so much from what 4 was able to do right like that game set the groundwork for so many other games after it and then of course we just oversaturated the market with too much action too much active time button presses too much you know like just pointless running and gunning through areas and what's the next big giant gun we can put in there you know like it just it just became too much over over the years and it's nice to see things kind of coming back and seeing a lot of people realizing like okay we need to actually tone it down and and bring back the horror factor, bring back that psychological idea. And it's I, I feel like we're starting to see that like we started to see that more with 
like these co-op style horror games where you're throwing in that psychological factor where like, hey, like your buddy is a killer. He's trying to get you now. What are you going to do to stop them? Right. Like and mm-hmm. it's it is a much more interesting concept in that way, which I really enjoy, like um, the Dying Light series. Right. Like the isn't the Dying Light series with the where you're like you're a killer and then everyone's trying to get you. Or you're trying to survive. Well, there, there's oh, uh, Dead by Daylight. Dead by Daylight, that's the one. Yeah, so it, like Dead by Daylight really like takes that and idea of the psychological aspect of it and runs with it, right? Like you're, and it's it's kind of nice too, but it's also pulling on a little, lot of like nostalgia strings too, where you know they're starting to put in classic killers like they have Scream Face and all that shit now, which it's like okay, I get it. Right, it's fun. It's a little much, but it's still fun, and I, I like that they're trying to stay relevant. But yeah, like, that's one of the ways that the action horror genre has evolved. It went to the over extreme, then it started to kind of come back a little bit, and then now we're seeing like social deception. Like, how do you add in the psych- like psychological horror without taking away any of the action? And I think that was their answer to it was adding in the idea of social deception because it's as much psychological horror as the players want so it's based on like how much do the players themselves want to inject into the game opposed to the game designers putting it in themselves right so it's kind of like an interesting balance where now you get to decide how scary this game actually is through your actions and the way that the characters are being played themselves. Because like the villains aren't scripted anymore. So it's it's a different way of looking at it. It's very interesting. So um, I'm curious to see where that kind of continues to evolve and where we go from there with these more co-op-y kind of um, horror games. So it's a fun little experiment, I guess. Yeah, I mean, for me, I like playing horror games with another person, even if like they don't actually play with me. It's just it's fun having that experience with somebody. And I think that, you know, it it really breathes new life into it no matter what. Yeah, agreed. Totally agreed. All right. So before we hop into this week's game, um, we are going to take a little break here. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors for this episode. And then we are going to hop back in and talk about the evil within two. That's right. A game that you guys might not have thought of and it's a little older and it didn't do so great. But I think it's one of those sleeper hits. So we'll be back to talk about that game real shortly. You find yourself staring down the mouth of a dark cave, hearing the low rumble of something large inside. This is it. Everything you have been fighting for lies just within this cave. (laughs) Hey man, what's the matter? This is your big ending fight scene. Yeah, sorry about that. I've just been so tired today. Feels like I've been hit with like two points of exhaustion. You know what? I have just this thing to get you back into the adventuring spirit. Really? Of course. I have a delicious roast from Geek Grind Coffee. Huh. That sounds pretty cool. What kind of brews do they have? They have blends like Dragon's Roast, Dwarven Dawn, Wizard's Mist, and so much more. They have even one celebrating Jim Hansen's The Labyrinth, The Goblin King's Elixir. Whoa, those sound awesome. I'm waking up just hearing about them. Is there an easy way for me to pick up some? I got you. 
For the fans of our show, if you visit geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at the checkout, you will get 20% off your order. Whoa, that's great. So you're saying if I go to geekgrindcoffee.com right now and enter the promo code GLITCH at checkout, I'll get 20% off my order? That's amazing. That's right, yo. (laughs) All right, I'm ready for this adventure. Bring it on. Hey, that's a natural 20. Just like the discount you can get when entering the promo code GLITCH at geekgrindcoffee.com. Level up your morning with Geek Grind Coffee. All right, we're back, everybody. And like I said, we went over a lot of the history of action horror games, where they went, where and how they're coming back. And now we're going to be diving into the game for this week, which I mentioned earlier is The Evil Within 2. Um, We're not going to be really going into the first one too much because you actually don't need to play the first game to enjoy the second one. Um, And they did that on purpose. The first game did not do very well. It did okay, um, but it just wasn't it just wasn't enough like a lot of people said that that first game was it felt outdated when it came out which is a shame because it's made by the same director who did resident evil 4 and like the whole resident evil franchise like he's the one who's like created the idea of action horror and survival horror um and his last game that he directed himself it just kind of didn't do so great Um, But then he did end up becoming more of a mentor. He took on that role. And now he's mentoring a lot of these newer game directors that are creating some amazing um, like survival horror games and things like that that are coming out. And one of them is The Evil Within 2. And I feel like that game actually did what the first one was trying to do as far as bring back the action horror genre. Now, There are some unfortunate things with the timing of the release of this game because it did come out the same year that Resident Evil 7 came out, which a lot of people will say that that is the resurgence of the genre. Like that is the penultimate version of how to bring back the action and the horror, like how to perfectly meld them in a more modern environment. And, you know, I got to say, I play The Evil Within 2, and it's it's a really fun and enjoyable experience. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting character designs, a lot of really cool psychological stuff going on there. The action is actually really fun. Um, you do feel a lot of stress throughout it because, of course, with these survival horror games, very limited resources, you got to, you know, craft and figure things out. But they did a lot of really interesting things with this title that are... I would say a little different and actually some answers to some problems that other games might have had. Um, One of them actually, before we go into like the story and more dive into the game itself was open world games were, this was like in 2017, we were seeing a lot of open world games just flood the market at that time. And we still are today, but I think one of the big problems with open world games is that sometimes they can feel very empty Now, Mm -hmm. The Evil Within 2 does have a slight open world aspect built into it. There's a main kind of like hub area, the city that you're roaming around before you get into the more linear kind of stages within the game. And you can actually like free roam around this area and pick up like transmissions to go find weapon caches and stuff like that. There's actually weapons in this game that you can completely miss if you don't 
go and find these little transmissions around the city. So it did make it more interesting to be able to kind of explore. But what made it interesting and kept it fun to go around in this kind of slightly open world environment was the fact that it was slightly open world. It was more of an enclosed space, but you were able to free roam, right? So it they they packed a lot, like basically if you look at like a world like Skyrim, right? Like you expect to be able to find a lot of stuff because it's a big, wide open world to walk around. Now, if you take the world of Skyrim, the side quests, all the things that you can find and condense it down into like one or two cities, then you would feel like there's something to do at all times. And they actually um, pay uh, paid respect to the, uh, what was it? Batman Arkham Knights or Arkham City. Um, where it is that kind of like open world feel, but it's not a very big open world. So they were able to kind of like condense everything down and make it feel like there was so much more in this world to do than there actually was. So it was a really nice way of kind of expanding that illusion of open world. And it's a very clever way of answering that problem that we might have with open world games in general. So I would say kudos to you know the evil within two team for you know setting that up because it is a very clever way of doing it so it's kind of fun and actually like my during my playthrough with the, the first time i got into the city i was able to get one of the strongest weapons in the game which is the crossbow which you can actually walk away from you don't have to get it at all uh which oh. i think is kind of funny but yeah you can you can just go around find all the crazy big weapons right away like you don't have to wait until it gets handed to you right like let's say you're in resident evil 3 and someone hands you a rocket launcher and says go shoot nemesis right like in the game there's actually i believe two weapons that are scripted and handed to you and i think that's the hunting knife and the pistol after that it's up to you to actually find the rest of the weapons oh wait no it's the pistol and the assault rifle assault rifle is given to you very late game but before that like you can totally avoid getting the crossbow you can avoid getting the shotgun um there's some really interesting stuff there which i think is kind of funny and a int- it, it's a fun way of doing it Right. So that means the playthrough gets catered to you. Now, when it comes to story, eh? (laughs) (laughs) like it's not the strongest story in the world. I think the best way to put it is um, it's basically if Freddy Krueger was in the Matrix. Right. It's it's a weird way of setting it up. But uh, the I feel like the trailers and everything, all the um, kind of like verbiage around this game don't actually let you know that you're going into a machine so all of this is happening in the subconscious so basically everyone jacks into a machine and they go into the world of stem stem is a program developed by the evil conglomerate business of course there has to be an evil conglomerate company um it's come by mobius that's the company itself and they're trying to create a utopian environment for people to go into and live they actually want people to live in stem and become like a collective mind uh, where there's no war no fear no pain that's kind of their like big spiel their big speech but obviously that just means if that if you go against Mobius or you don't agree with some of the programming, then you just get killed off and no one would be the wiser. So that's kind of the idea behind the Mobius project or the STEM project. So the story is you are um, your main character's name is uh, Sebastian Castiones. And you are trying to get your daughter back, which you thought your daughter and your wife died in a fire 
comes to turn or it turns out that Mobius, the big bad company from the first one as well, um, actually took your wife and daughter because your daughter's mind, of course, is the perfect mind to use to create the STEM project. It's the most stable one that they have found. So they kidnap your daughter and basically use her to create this world. Now you're trying to get her back because something is threatening her. So, of course, super cheesy concepts right there, but they did it in kind of an interesting way, I would say. Like, you actually do feel for Sebastian. You feel his his heartache as he's going and trying to get his daughter back. Um, he's going through, like, he was a detective in the first one, and now he is more of a down-and-out alcoholic. He's lost everything, and he's trying now to get it back, right? He's trying to get his life back. And you follow him as he goes through the different stages of basically grief throughout the game. And it's, it's interesting, oh, man, uh, I feel like the character design is really good for the characters they have in it, because there's not that many characters actually in this game. Uh, you have the main big bad, the owner of Mobius, like he's there, you have your wife, your kid, Sebastian, um, the kid's name is Lily, by the way, and then you have uh, basically, you have the two main bosses in the game, and those are really the only main fleshed out characters within this. And that, unfortunately, is probably due to the kind of sped up production um, time frame that they had while making this game. They only had two years to make this title, which for what they did in two years, it's actually very impressive. It is really good, uh, but you feel like you could use some more time in the oven right like it this definitely mm -hmm. it, and you can kind of see it with some of the texturing and things like that some of those issues but i think my favorite thing about this game as a whole the the thing that really won me over the thing that saves this title in my opinion is the actual bosses themselves and the fact that they are able to then manipulate the world in stem and kind of create their warped nightmare utopians like their own personal utopias right and the first villain that you run into he's actually a wartime photographer that got hurt and uh he was out there in the field and a grenade a grenade went off next to him he ended up losing his eye in the process but at that same time he took a shot a picture right as like in reaction to the explosion and he captured basically the final breath of the soldier in front of him. And then he became obsessed with capturing that final moment. He considered that like the most beautiful thing he's ever seen where he captures this person's death. So in his utopian world, you're seeing like some really strange, bizarre art pieces around you. Um, and like one of the things you witness is like these weird time cubes where time kind of repeats and it's like the same three seconds on loop. And it is the moment of people's deaths. So he goes up, stabs them. So you get like the crazy blood spray. And then like the like it's stuck in that like three seconds of the that capturing of oh. the final breath. Right. And it's it's a very clever idea. And the stages are super creepy and super bizarre. Um, and like the. It just it's a lot. It's it's pretty intense and it leads to some really interesting imagery throughout the stages. And I felt like it was a very clever idea um, and a very clever villain to put into this. And I think it maybe it was tugging at my heartstrings a little bit because of the artist side in me. But it, it was just very it was very fun. And, you know, he did have some throwaway lines that were a little cheesy um, from an artist perspective, but they were 
I, I feel like they made him kind of cheesy because, you know, not many people are going to know like big name or a lot of artist names off the top of their head. So they kind of had to go a little bit, you know, more with the more well-known artist, I guess. More mainstream, less hipster. Yeah. So like he even says like, oh, you know, Picasso had his blue period and I'm having my red period, right? So like that's the whole idea of him like killing everyone. Like, oh, blood, it's the most beautiful thing. So like, it's just like, okay, I get it. That's that's clever enough, I guess, right? It's fun. It's interesting. But it was really cool to see that stage kind of work out. But then the next villain that you encounter, then the one that you're uh, you fight, uh, after that, he's a preacher in the game in his like utopian world where like he's the the main like he's basically like the pope or the leader of this church. But it turns out that he was a motivational speaker in the real world. And mm -hmm. Mobius hired him because he was able to convince people to move into STEM to agree to put their consciousness in this to make it seem like it's a successful business model. And so in his world, he is like a preacher that you're fighting and they like purify everything with fire. Of course, you fight some crazy, um, you know, zealots with flamethrowers because they have to add that kind of stuff. But I think the actual interesting, like the big nugget of like, oh, that's actually a really cool idea. And it's it's kind of fun because it almost acknowledges the issues with the first game and allows you to confront them in this one. Um, because at, you basically have a boss rush, a boss rush during this period when you're fighting the the motivational speaker, the zealot, this you know preacher, um, and he basically is trying to you know psychoanalyze Sebastian, bring up the horrors of his past because he's realizing he's not getting to him through his words, so he wants to use fear instead. It makes him relive the horrors of the first game. So you actually have to go through and fight all the bosses from the first game at like basically reliving that fear and that torment, that moment where he lost everything, he lost his family and all that. So it's kind of a cool idea and a play on that. Now, the final boss, which I kind of had some problems with because it almost felt a little too much, but I can see where they were going, is actually your wife. Your wife is there trying to save Lily, your daughter, and she was dealing with her grief and she becomes like this very overprotected like, presence in a way. And anyone who's trying to get to Lily or harm her or do anything like that um, has to die, basically. And she ends up becoming this crazy morphed, like almost Attack on Titan style beast at one point and the ending of it. Um, but it is pretty interesting where like, she just kind of like loses herself. And then, of course, you after shooting your wife in the face like 30 times when she's a big ass monster, she comes back and says, you know, you're right. I, I lost myself. I'm sorry. Go save our daughter, Lily, and get us out of here. Right. So there's the, the ending isn't as as strong, I feel, <laughs> as the first two stages or the first two bosses. And once again, I think that has to do with the fact that it was put on very uh, like two years is not a long time to develop these characters out fully or to develop these scenes fully. But the visuals themselves are very interesting. You go from the first one, which is very dark, very surreal. Like you have a lot of plays with like picture frames and weird drapery and just really interesting colors. Then the second uh, area is like all fire and brimstone and like classic, uh, you know, like old cathedral style things. 
And then the last stage with your wife is more empty and kind of like a snowy landscape, which actually could be the idea of maybe everything's covered in ash since they were said to have burned up in a fire. But everything is like covered in white, which is different from what you would expect from a typical horror uh, game and different from all the previous stages that you've just went through. Everything was so dark and then now everything is so white and bright and you can see everything around you, but it still has that kind of slight creep factor to it. But I don't know, like, I feel like the story itself, like the the first two villains really, really kind of like made kept me interested in the game for a long time. And then it just kind of, you know, it kind of fell out because the whole Matrix idea thing was just like mm, the whole dystopia ideas like played out. I'm like, OK, I get it. Right. But I, I feel like they did a really good job with this game and it was really fun to play through this one. And it is very like some of the designs of those characters and those villains. It's like, oh, man, that's a lot. It's it's intense. And then being like adding in the extra stress of having to, you know, monitor your bullet counts and all that. Like it's they did a really good job with it, in my opinion. And there is the RPG element as well, where you can level up your character and make him stronger by collecting green goop from enemies and weird shit like that. But they, I, I think that they did a very good job with the time constraints they had. Um, I just feel like it was unfortunate timing when it did come out um, because Resident Evil 7, right? Who's going to pass that up? Uh, so it's just it's tough but i don't know like what's your what's your overall take on this like how do you how do you feel the evil within did i know i i kind of stole it for a bit <laughs> went off on a long no tangent, no but, no yeah. that's totally fine because i i i played the first one um that's honestly my experience with the franchise mm-hmm. uh i was always interested in two and i own two i just never got around to it because I, you know, when it came out, I remember people talking about it. And then as soon as seven came out, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't really hear it. And it's a shame because especially the way you describe it, it actually looks and sounds really cool and different. And it's a shame because yeah, Resident Evil seven's fun. Like I'm playing through it right now and I'm enjoying it. It's, you know, they're different in a sense like for me a first person horror it's different than you know the over the shoulder kind of like evil within mm. and i personally enjoy the over the shoulder look to it to me it's scarier mm-hmm. cuz then you actually can see if there's anything behind you but i think the idea even with the kind of cheesy story i still think it's it's an interesting atmosphere mm-hmm. and I didn't realize like half that stuff that you described would actually be in that game because I mean, the game's not really talked about like even on like horror game lists, like no one really, they mentioned the first game, but you never really hear them mention the second game. And it's kind of sad that it got swept under. Cause I mean, horror games aren't always talked about either mm-hmm. because it's a niche genre, but I think, after hearing you describe it, I really want to like try it out and see because it looks cool. Yeah. You know, I think it's another thing. And we've mentioned this before in our previous episodes on, you know, the the dark ages of gaming and how systems failed. But then they tried to come back and say, like, hey, don't worry about it. We fixed it. Try out this one. You know, I, I feel like people got burned by the first game and didn't want to give the second one a chance, which is a true shame. Like the first one had such a like paid such a homage to the whole like saw style of media 
where the second one went more back to like the psychological horror. And I think they did it very well. Uh, and it's a shame. And I think it's one of those kind of like sleeper hits that like when people play it, they're like, oh, this actually was pretty damn good. And it's unfortunate that they're probably never going to make a Evil Within 3. And that's why we don't see one or any DLC for that matter for this game, because it just didn't do great. But it is one of those games. That I feel like it's actually a very interesting um, like way to come back to the action horror game because Resident Evil 7 was great. And it does that where it comes back to the action horror but it is still very kind of like linear in that aspect. This is more of like, I feel like it's a kind of more of a successor to Resident Evil 4. What that game was able to do, I feel like that's what they were trying to continue with the Evil Within 2. And it's it's a shame that this one came out after the first one because n no one's going to really play it, which sucks. But there is a good, there's some good news. Um, if you do have Xbox Game Pass, which I feel like we keep bringing up, but I want to I want people to like uh, to understand that, like, we're not sponsored by them or anything like that. But there's ways to like interact and play these games that you might have passed up on or not heard of. So like Alien Isolation, the game we talked about last week and now this one, Evil Within 2, even the Evil Within 1 are on Xbox Game Pass available for you to play right now. So you can experience those games for theoretically free right like if you're paying for xbox game pass but they're like it's nice to see that they're keeping those games alive in a sense with this pro with game pass so it's it's kind of cool that that's there and i like to be able to let you guys know the listeners and the players out there like where you can access these games easily where you're not paying 60 bucks just to try them out so you can you know experience them for yourselves so like i said if you have xbox game pass go check it out it is an enjoyable experience. Don't go in there expecting like a holy shit amazing game. But I feel like that happens a lot with like movies as well too, right? Where some people will say like, oh, this movie is garbage. It's horrible. So you pass up on it and then you watch it maybe a couple years later and you're like, you know what? That, game, that movie was fun. That was a decent movie, but it just didn't live up to the hype and the expectations during the time. So it gets brushed under the rug, which is an unfortunate thing. But it happens all the time across all media. So it's, I don't know, I would say give it a chance because it does ha do some very interesting things. That's for sure. And if you don't have Game Pass, the cool thing about this series is it's actually not, it's inexpensive compared to a lot of other horror games on consoles. Mm -hmm. Like Evil Within 2, it really doesn't seem like it goes over 15 bucks anymore. Which is not bad you at know, all. For the, like for 15 bucks, you're going to have a really fun time with this game. The first one, it's weird. It looks like for the like for the PlayStation Four, it randomly is forty dollars, which is interesting used. Hmm. Um, but I mean, ten dollars or so for Evil Within Two, it's not a bad deal. You know, horror games nowadays are always worth a lot of money. And I mean, as the generations go on, these horror games are going to be harder to find probably harder to play unless game pass you know keeps them forever which who knows what they will but mm -hmm. you know with horror games i feel like they're always worth playing because they're only going to get rarer you know yeah exactly all right well i think that's going to do it for us this week i hope you guys enjoyed our other our 
dive into more horror games, the action side of horror, um, and our continuation on Spooky Month itself. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening in this week. We hope to talk to you guys next week as we dive into some more games and check out some more titles out there. Maybe shed some light on some more titles that you've never even heard of or have passed up on in the past. Um, hidden gems hidden gems of gaming <laughs> all right thank you guys so much it's been a lot of fun talking to you um if you want to reach out to us on the social medias you know where to find us there's links in our descriptions to our link tree where you can find us on all of those different platforms uh yeah and just thank y'all we'll talk to you guys next week all right and bye, bye.